This is Guys Read Romance, where I, romance author Margot Radcliffe, politely strong-arm my male friends into reading and chatting about romance novels with me for an uncomfortably long period of time. Today I'm being joined by one of my oldest and best friends, Preston DeFrancis. One of the hardest working and most talented people I know, he's a television writer, an independent film director whose projects include Manhunt on Netflix and The First on Hulu, as well as a horror film, Ruin Me, which you can catch on the Shutter streaming service. Our friendship started when, as tweens, we were both buying Marvel cards <laughs> in the neighborhood comic book shop and with some notable bumps and bruises has sustained for decades. <laughs> One time in our 20s, when I invited him to a party, he asked me if I had told my new friends about him, and I said, no, why would I tell them my life story? And he was annoyed because I was always in his summary. So yes, Preston, <laughs> always a logline, never a footnote in my life. Thank you so much for coming, and I'm super excited to talk about romance with you. Thanks for having me, Margaret. Of course, happy to have you. Um, so we both come a long way, writing-wise, obviously, but go ahead and tell me, let's start with what do you normally read? Yeah, I spend a lot of time uh, reading screenplays and reading books about screenplays, but I do, uh, I do read fiction, probably not as much as, as you do, but uh, the last book I read was Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey, his memoir. <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh yep all right all right all right all right so you're not recommending that one um no i would say it's if you are a fan of matthew mcconaughey it is it is a good read it's a fast read and has some insights into his career and why he's made the choices that he's made i liked it that's great so why why do you think it sounds like you've read fiction i know personally that i'm you're not what i would call a reader but mm -hmm. i mean you seem to have read some things mm -hmm. so you know good for you uh, but so uh, <laughs> why haven't you uh why do you not read romance or have never or have chosen not to read romance uh i would say because it, it probably starts like everything uh, from childhood, you know, and I think that my image of romance is rooted in those spinner, those wire spinner racks of books that are at like, they were like at Walden books when we were growing up, you know, and had those like painted covers, they, they, they looked like oil painted covers of like super buff men. And women with like this long flowy hair and like silken blouses and that whole, all those covers and just did not, it did not speak to me. You know, it would be, it would be something at the wall, like at Walden Books, I would go to the sci-fi section or to the comic books or something like that, you know. I, I would say that those spinny racks of romance novels just felt like this is not for me, I, I guess. Uh. Right. Well, <laughs> sure. The covers have gotten much better. But I will say a funny story about you and myself and your mom and those spinning wire racks. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> is, is that they had those at the library, of course, at the public library. And I uh -huh, would uh -huh. take stacks and stacks of those Harlequin romance novels and 
uh, take them home with me and never return them to the library. And your mom, <laughs> uh, one stormy night when I was a senior in high school, made me package up all of these books in a garbage bag and made me return them to the library, even though I didn't have to check them out in the first place. Like they were really wanting, they were giving them away for free, essentially. And now, as a librarian, I have, as I have said, they did not want those books back. And for them to have found this trash bag full of books and the book drop in the morning had to have been very depressing for them. And they probably threw them away. But your mom <laughs> meant well. <laughs> yes. My, I mean, that story is very much my mom. She's very honest. I, I don't know why she got that particular burr in her saddle for you to do that. Um, it makes total sense. But it was funny, full circle, that now I write. I am writing for you. Are and yes, so yes, pretty amazing. I'm sorry that those books did not appeal to you because they clearly changed the trajectory of of my creative life. They did, life. they did, and and I mean, how cool <laughs> that the thing that was you know like the thing for you that was inspiring to you at that at that moment in our life in our childhood is what you're working in today. That's so cool. Right. And that the covers were just of half-naked dudes. So yeah. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. That makes sense. All yeah. Right. And, and, you know, also on, on that topic, something about it, and I don't know why, maybe it's because they had an old-timey feel, but it, those they felt like something that, like, my grandmother would read. Sure. You know, it did. It didn't feel young or youthful. It it felt like it was for older people. I, I right. guess. And I think that was part of it for me. It felt illicit when you're young. Ah, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, like, yeah. And yeah. know that they they weren't for us. They weren't for young people. They were for older people. That was, I think, part of the draw. Um, cool. Sort of like for me, like horror movies, sure. because those were. You know, as, as a, a fifth grader or whatever, like that was, those were illicit for supposed to be for older people. Can't see it in the theater. Yeah. I mean, I see that. I totally see it. Right. And we did sort of end up in, in adulthood on these separate spectrums of, of genres. I would say right. that horror is about as respected as romance in a lot of ways. As yeah. Yes. Um, yes. Even Which, though I feel like as youths, we were exceedingly pretentious in a lot of, a lot of <laughs> right 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 some of us right. more than others i don't want to name any names <laughs> probably you no comment <laughs> <laughs> all right so to get started we're going to talk about this book we're going to talk about the hating game in a minute but i do want to first do a game just to okay you know make things a little less stiff I'm going to read two sex scenes. Making things less book. stiff. That sounds like it would be from one of your novels. That's, that's, <laughs> you just made me uncomfortable. <laughs> okay, so we definitely need the icebreaker to, All right, to so break the I'm the cooler. Just, yes, I, that's, I just didn't expect it, but you're right. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> you're just you're just usually not that clever. So I'm very, very shocked by it. All right, so this is going to be, I'm going to read two passages. One, and this is a gross generalization, right? One is written by a man, one is written by a woman, and you're going to have to guess which one you think is which. So. Okay. All right, are you ready? I'm ready. All right, uh, don't be embarrassed if you get it wrong. You know, I'll still respect you. Thanks. As much as I did 
<laughs> Low bar. Yep. That was the subtext. I'm glad you said it out loud. Glad I made it text. <laughs> All right. Here we go. He spread her wide and she closed her eyes at the touch, lewd and lascivious and lovely, at once thankful for the darkness and quite desperate for the light. Did you touch yourself? She shook her head, her hands searching for him, finding his soft hair. No. All right. Okay. That's, That's one. selection one. Okay. Got it. This is selection two. The softness of her skin in the dark, far softer seeming because of the dark, was irresistible. And the aroma of her lily fragrant perfume mingled with the cat smell of her steaming cunt <laughs> made me salivate and pant like a lion, my nose tormented by a damp fur and hot blood. Still, I could not tell where her soft skin ended and her silk began. She knelt and worshipped my cock with her mouth and her gloved hands, and she cried out louder than I did when I came, spattering her face as she licked. You want to take a guess at which one? <laughs> I, I definitely feel like the first one was written by a woman, and the second mm -hmm. one was written by a man. Yes, you would be right. The All first right. one was right. The Rogue Not Taken by Sarah okay. McLean. Uh -huh. The second one was The Stranger at the Palazzo d'Oro by Paul Thoreau. Okay. I um, felt like that, that some of the, you know, like the lily and the cat and the, I don't know, those, those, those things just, I, I felt <laughs> like that's not how a woman would probably be describing this this scene so that that those were the tells for me <laughs> yes sure i don't think steaming is how anyone wants her vagina to be described as yeah yeah or in damp fur i don't know maybe. yeah 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 and and in no world is somebody crying out louder when they're I, there's just i just don't think he's ever received a blowjob before in his life <laughs> But what are you going to do? So congratulations. You win. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Hold on to that feeling. <laughs> I'll try. So, all right. So the book we're going to talk about is The Hating Game by Sally Thorne. Just a little bit about this book. It's a New York Times bestseller. It's a USA Today bestseller. It's a Goodreads Choice Award top 10 finalist. It's sold in 25 countries and is now becoming a major motion picture. It was also named in the top 20 romance novels of 2016 by the Washington Post. Right, So these are the accolades of that book. It's a major deal. It has, I think, informally kind of restarted what is kind of more or less become another chiclet movement. You know, I don't know if you remember like the early aughts with like Bridget Jones' diary and stuff like that. Their chiclet was a huge thing. And I think this is kind of brought that genre kind of back into existence. Of course, now they're calling it romantic comedy for whatever reason, instead of chiclet. But anyway, the I'm going to do a quick summary of the book. Lucy Hutton and Joshua Templeton hate each other. Not dislike, not begrudgingly tolerate, hate. And they have no problem displaying their feelings through a series of ritualistic, passive-aggressive maneuvers as they sit across from each other, executive assistants to co-CEOs of a publishing company. Lucy can't understand jo Joshua's joyless, uptight, meticulous approach to his job. Joshua is clearly baffled by Lucy's overly bright clothes, quirkiness, and Pollyanna attitude. 
Now up for the same promotion, their battle of wills has come to a head, and Lucy refuses to back down when their latest game could cost her her dream job. But the tension between Lucy and Joshua has also reached a boiling point, and Lucy is discovering that maybe she doesn't hate Joshua, and maybe he doesn't hate her either. Or maybe this is just another game. So that is the blurb. The hating game. The hating game. So we have some questions here. First one was, uh, and it it took, I want to mention, it seemed to take you a long time to read this book. I mean, uh, not making any judgments, judgments, but some other people that I asked to do this podcast were much quicker. So what were your first impressions of the cover, the blurb, what I just read? Tell me some of the feelings you had before you actually started reading the book. Yeah, so I found the cover to be in stark contrast to exactly what I was just saying, that sort of the old stodginess of those classic books. I was like, this looks like young. It looks hip. Um, Yeah, and I was like, uh, so the cover made me uh, excited about this Mm -hmm. one. And also, you know, the the blurb sounded like it would be kind of a good time. It did. It did sound like more more leaning into the romantic comedy rather than just the just the pure romance. And I think I was excited about uh, about that as well. Well, okay, so great. Yeah, the these cartoon covers, as they're calling them, seems to be mm-hmm. a hallmark of it was a hallmark of Chicklet, and it's kind of a hallmark of these romantic comedies. And what, in your mind, then, I guess, separates a romantic comedy from just a romance? Yeah, I mean, this that, to me was, I mean, it's a, a romance. I mean, yes, yes. Um, I and and actually, I I I, I want to talk about to you also what separates Chicklet. From romance, and and mm-hmm. is chiclet considered um, a pejorative, or is that considered a good? You know, so yeah, let's talk about let's talk about all these distinctions uh, for in the genres. Um, so so okay, so you ask me first, so I'll go first. So romantic comedy versus romance. So I feel like in a romantic comedy, and again, of course, my my viewpoint is most colored by movies film romantic comedies i don't know that i've read many book romantic comedies so i feel like in a in a film romantic comedy it is typically more driven by big comedic set pieces so that we're putting our characters into really heightened situations that really make you make you laugh and either want to root for them to be together or root for them to be apart or maybe root for them to be apart and then root for them to be together. Um, but it's more driven by these comedic set pieces. And this book I, I felt was not driven with, there's, there's not a lot of comedic set pieces in here. I would say there might, there might be half a comedic set piece. Like the, the paintball set piece is like maybe a half a comedy set piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, in that way, it did, it did not feel like I was watching, you know, When Harry Met Sally or uh, what's, a, what's a more modern one that I, that I like. I don't know. Forgetting Sarah Marshall uh, is one that I, that I love. Um, I mean, is, that's barely, a, I mean, like, that's just a comedy. I mean, like, come on. I mean, that's just like a, I guess. That's just a comedy. Yeah, I guess. I although, it, although what is, you know, what hit, the, the driving of that and the driving tension of that is he's trying to get over a, a woman that he loved and maybe by meeting a new woman 
that will that uh, you know i guess but i i think that the difference there is that like it it's it I, I, maybe maybe this is my bias because i that's about a that's like about a dude i mean that's a from a dude's point of view we i mean the girl features in it very little you know at some point so it doesn't yeah. seem like yeah. to me it is it is definitely the male uh, the protagonist is definitely male and it is it is told through his point of view for sure but that doesn't you know that doesn't mean it can't be a romantic comedy right i know you're absolutely right i guess you know lord knows we haven't had enough movies and books about men being sad about women you know? <laughs> it's just uh, remarkable yeah. can always use one more yeah sure <laughs> all right so okay that sounds that's fine i i i guess i i while you were talking i was trying to think of what a set piece would even look like in inside of a book and how that would function as, as a tool and i think that a lot of and like how that would make it funny i you know what i mean it seems like a visual thing mm, yeah it's true um, yep but um so but I guess what you're saying is that you did not think that the book was a comic. Um, I would say that that is one of like the subgenres of it. You know, it's it is not. I wouldn't call. I wouldn't put that on the cover. Right. So to you, it felt like you were just reading a romance. It it did feel more. Again, with my limited experience with the genre, it did feel more like it was driven only by only by that genre rather than comedy uh, or character study or something like that. It, d- it did feel mostly driven by the romance. So you didn't find any of the, their dialogue between each other comical in any way. Like the scene, like the the whole first act is of them, like she's, you know, spying on his calendar or, she, and she, or she, they're like playing the staring game or they're like, you didn't think any of that was... Yeah, I mean, no, it is. It, it's light. It's light. I found it light, you know. Right. Light and frothy and, and entertaining. But there there weren't, mm-hmm. like, there weren't, like, hard jokes. There weren't, like, right. punchlines or, right. or wor- you know, or wordplay or, or anything like that. Um, oh, I mean, I think there is some wordplay. I mean, I think she does a good job with the dialogue of their... I think that when they talk to each other, their kind of one-upsmanship is... Oh, that's true. Funny. yeah that's um, true yeah and at, going back to the chiclet thing for a minute i don't yeah. think it, it was meant to be pejorative i'm sure that a lot of people took it that way but i just think that i don't know what the difference is i always <laughs> i remember in the early aughts when i was reading it i kind of my distinction was like it was just romance written by british people that's what it seemed <laughs> To me, because um, I didn't, I didn't understand the difference between it and just regular romance, and it's uh-huh. just marketing. And I, I, I kind of honestly feel the same way about about ro- these romantic comedies. Do you, I don't do know. You, Go ahead. Do you, do you feel like in in the industry or in the in the in the world of publishing that there is a distinction, sort of a level distinction? Like this is romance. A slightly elevated version of this is chiclet. Is the, is there like a prestige? differential i don't know i just think that i mean i guess you can look at it as prestige i think it's just a matter of now that indie publishing is so pervasive mm-hmm. and a the lo- a large majority of romance readers are like read indie romance 
And so I think this is kind of publishing's way of like with these cartoon covers of like trying to create a niche romance market for traditional publishing. So I, but I don't know what the parameters exactly are. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's, I think it has to do with point of view. I think it has to do with like subject matter. I think it has to do with um, diversity and inclusion, like all of these things kind of go into it. And, but I don't, I don't think anybody has a real handle on it. Yeah. I think that that's the, that's the main thing. They're just trying to distinguish, make a line between all the indie stuff and interesting. So. so like if somebody said to me, okay, name, name a chick lit book, I would probably say eat, pray, love. That would be like the first thing that came to mind. <laughs> really? Yeah. Is that, what is, is, is does that? I don't, know, I don't know, but isn't it sad? I mean, like, I don't even, I, I've never I, read it. I haven't read it either. <laughs> I'm just, this is just I, what's in my mind is that that would be a chick lit novel. I would think that that's women's fiction. See, like, so that there's a difference between tri- chiclet and women's yeah, fiction. I mean, women's fiction doesn't have boning. You know what I mean? And so eat, uh, anything that does not have but wait, it, it's going to be women's fiction. Probably. But eat, pray, love it, in the love part. Is there not sex? I don't know. We're talking about a book we've never read. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, I, but it seems doubtful. Uh, it seems doubtful that there would be like, it seems. I don't think so. Okay. I mean, I, I mean, maybe I'll double check it. But so one of the requirements for chiclet is well, chiclet is, is not a thing anymore. Let me. I just see. Say okay. That. Okay. Okay. It, we're. I mean, really, it's now romantic comedy. Chiclet okay. was the Got early it. aughts Got marketing. It. Got it. But that is now the romantic comedies. I I feel this Got is it. the, the it. rebranding of chiclet is romantic comedy. And it feel again. This is my point of view. It feels like. If someone were to say is Fifty Shades of Grey chiclet, I would say no. Yes. Because <laughs> lit-, lit is short for literature, and I feel like that perhaps does not reach the bar of literature. No, no. no, no. <laughs> Listen, there's a shame. I, I'm not going to talk about that. I mean, like, she's, you know, she's rich. <laughs> She's so rich. She's so rich, which so is, seems insane. Who it seems insane, cares? right? Yeah. yeah. It does. It does seem insane, but it seems, you know, everybody has been trying to like legitimize sex and writing, and maybe she did it, maybe she didn't, but she got paid and whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I can't. I can't. I can't be mad about it. I guess. But anyway, so I would not consider Fifty Shades of Grey. I would. That's. I wouldn't even consider that erotica at this point. I think that that is that distinction is. I think what Fifty Shades did is push just regular romance. So when you read just contemporary romance now, it's it it, it is a little racier than it than it used to be, and that's mm. the product of what Fifty Shades did. So there's like less of a need now for an erotica distinction, and between erotica and romance because they are kind of. The heat so, levels are becoming so previously erotica would have been like more hardcore than yeah. a romance mm-hmm. novel. Yeah, for sure. W- could you could you walk into a public library and get erotica or only only romance? I think I don't know. I mean, probably just romance. Yeah, fascinating. It's it's a fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, again, that's indie publishing and e-readers and 
people can read in private now, right? Mm. So like, what they read is gotten a lot nastier, you know, nobody <laughs> yeah. can see it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, all right. So how do you, moving on, how did you feel? Do you have any other questions about that? No, story? no, that was interesting. Right, all right. So how did you feel about the characters? Do you think they portrayed people you might meet in your regular life? You know, talk to me about your thoughts about that. Well, you know, I thought that they were, for the genre, that they were realistic enough. I, I would say, I would say, though, that my primary, my primary uh, feeling was one of inadequacy. Uh, okay. About, your, about the myself. characters were inadequate? No, oh. no, about me. Oh. Um, the book made you feel that way? Yes. This, the, book, the book made me feel very inadequate. Just and the book? I, just, well, you know. <laughs> in, the, in the context of my life, yes, the book made me feel inadequate. Let, let me, I'm going to read a short passage here that sort of typifies okay. what I'm talking about. Okay. I can't and, wait. And, and this is Lucy, this is Lucy contrasting Josh. My last boyfriend, the last man I had sex with forever ago, was only about five six. He could never have picked me up. He'd have ruptured a disc in his fragile boy-sized spine. I'm five six. <laughs> are women when I walk around, are women saying, look at that boy-sized spine? Like like that that just I, I, that is just one example but so much of this book is about how he is so <laughs> tall and muscular and buff and good looking and not only that but he is able to anticipate all of her needs he can say just the right thing that she didn't even know that she wanted said to her he says it to her you know right yeah and she loves it she loves it. She loves that perfection. And I'm I'm just comparing myself to this person and thinking how woefully inadequate I am in every way because yeah. I'm small. I am and, and most of the time in the relationships I've had, you sometimes say the right thing, but most of the time you say the wrong thing even when you're trying to say the right thing. You, I mean, so I, so I it, it definitely made me feel inadequate. Mm-hmm. And then, and then also intellectualizing a little bit, a little bit, it surprised me because I feel like generally in literature, in in movies, one of the things that these that these classically do is they say your appearance is not your value. You know mm-hmm. that you can't judge a book by its cover. We're all, you know, we're always in literature often looking at the underdog and saying, well, th- this person who doesn't have the appearance of what you would consider to be successful actually has a lot of value internally, right? And so this is a common theme in books and movies. And this is the opposite of that. She's just like, he's hot and I love it, you know? And I just found that so, so interesting and so, and so kind of like, surprising how how much how much emphasis was put on his appearance so that so okay so this one book that you read made you feel inadequate so put it into perspective you know Mm -hmm. um that's every movie i've ever watched i mean like every in any like 
magazine, any anything that's on television, like anything makes women feel. Mm. I mean, like we are bombarded social media like with images of perfect women day in and day out. And you, but so I'm sorry you had a problem with this one <laughs> one book, Preston. I'm I, I apologize, but you know, I think that she. But the other thing that you said was he anticipated her needs, and yes. so yeah. I think regardless of the emphasis that was put on his appearance, even though it is a book, like I, I'm sure that you were hyper focused on it. I'm sure that she doesn't talk about it all the time. I mean, like. I remember specifically she, he was described as like a Clark Kent type of person. I do understand that he was tall, but she also was very short. So if anybody would be tall really in comparison to her. Mm-hmm. So we don't know exactly how tall he was really just that he was tall to her, mm-hmm. which is different than just being a giant person generally. Although he's so, definitely taller than five six, because she specifically says that a five six is a boy size spine. Very specifically, ruptured a disc in his fragile boy size spine. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, that was that was height shaming. I'll give you that. Yeah, but it's a low blow, literally. Yeah. But anyway, yes, so, yes. Um, but I think that in spite of those, she obviously likes him because of other things it has very little to do with his appearance whereas in like something like a movie most of the time we're left thinking that because a woman has no lines or no real part or no character development we are usually left thinking that all her worth is her appearance well that is is not true in this book that that is if that is the dominant theme of movies that that I, I hope that the work that I do tries to move against that because that is not how it should be. I, I you know, I, I, I don't want it. I don't want it. things to be like that. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, well, sorry about that. Yeah. Um, but again, but like <laughs> you said, the the most important part is that he anticipates her needs. He's hyper focused on her, right? right. And that's one yep. of the. Th- the things in romance that women books written from a female's point of view, and you'll find that across a lot of romance novels. Like the number one thing is just that here is a person who is present, who is paying attention to me, who is interested in what I need, because mm. that's what women do. Like, I'm, of course, these are generalizations, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. like a lot of times, women focus on other people's needs, whereas we oftentimes receive that very little in return. So I think that you've touched on something that's very pervasive in, in romance. All right. So the next question, do you have anything else you want to say? Anything else you felt bad about? Yeah, maybe we'll come back to it. That's good for now. All right. So the plot centers around Lucy and Josh's working and personal relationship. Did you find the arc of their love story realistic? Um, not realistic for the world. Certainly, um, but realistic for a piece of frothy fiction. Yeah, realistic enough. Um, yeah. And that word frothy that you just used. Yes, yes, yes. So walk me through your choice of, of that word. Um, I think by design that this book is not, it's not meant to be particularly deep. We're not, we're not drilling down. We're, 
in a deep way into these people's psychologies. Uh, so it's more, it's a, it's more light. Um, so you don't think the single most important relationship of somebody's entire life is deep in, um, the, in the story of how they got there. You don't um, think that that's. I would say and, that it could be deep or it might not be deep. It, it's, it's all execution dependent. And mm-hmm. I, I just felt like the, the execution here was not, was not, was not exploring it in a super deep way. It was, it was by design because it's what? supposed to be fast and fun and, you know, a, a, a light read. Like it, you would, like, would you agree that this is a, this is supposed to be a light read? You know, this is not supposed to be. Yeah, I mean, I look, I think it's supposed to be like lighthearted, but mm-hmm. I don't know that that translates to a word like frothy, which has some like undertones of less important. And what I'm trying to say is that this is about two people in a, in their relationship that becomes really, I mean, you're, you're married and mm-hmm. you know, your wedding and your relationship, that's the most important, I would think that that's the most important thing in your life, right? Mm-hmm. So like, how is the discussion of that? How is the story of how that came to be? How is that less, have less gravitas than, you know, something else? Do you know what um, I, mean? I, I think it all depends on the, on the fashion in which it is told. And the choices, the choices that the author makes for which, uh, what, which ways to explore the characters and things like that. You know, I would say this is maybe a funny comparison, but there, there's this movie from a couple of years ago called Adventureland, mm-hmm. um, and it stars Kristen Ryan Stewart Reynolds. and Jesse Eisenberg. Is that not with Ryan Reynolds? Mind is, uh, Ryan Reynolds is like a cameo sized role. He's like. Okay. I believe, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, and they are young people, like early twenties people, trying to find their way in their in their lives. And it is on the surface a comedy. I wouldn't call it a romantic comedy, but it's on the surface a comedy. But I feel like it it kind of digs deeper at who those people really are, and it is also kind of frothy, but also has a surprising depth to it. And I, I guess I'm just I'm just trying to say that I absolutely think that a, that a story of two people coming together and finding each other could most certainly have a ton of depth. I just don't know that this particular story had for me had that depth. Okay, sure, that's fine. Uh, but, but circling back to the question, mm-hmm. did you find the arc of their or why not? Why did you not find the arc of their love story realistic? Um. I mean, it was real. It was realistic for a heightened fictional world. Realistic in the real world, I, you know, like the detail that he painted his room the color of her eyes. Mm-hmm. That I felt like is a, is a detail that did not ring true for the world. You know, for the world at large, for a fictional world, sure. But for the really, world I mean, at large, really, just a paint job. You think that that's out of the realm of something a guy would do? I do. Paint his bedroom. <laughs> paint his bedroom the color <laughs> of the. Why, of that's the... why this whole book is unbelievable to you, because you can't even imagine <laughs> doing some like calling somebody to paint your room a certain color. I don't know. It seems like a small thing to me. I don't know. It's it it's it's it, it seems it's just such a, an odd thing. I think for someone in the real world to do. And also, I, I do think it's a little creepy. I mean, full. Yeah, I think it's a little creepy. And here's the thing: if the guy 
weren't super hot, it would be super creepy. Now imagine if like uh, if a five six guy, yeah, okay, everything is the same. But the guy who painted his room the color of her eyes was five six. That guy is a creeper. She's gonna call the cops. Exactly, exactly. He's he's in handcuffs tonight. You're just never. We're gonna be talking about this five six thing the whole time. <laughs> well, but I mean, okay, fine. But I do think that again, that's a thing that romance. These gestures, these grand gestures, are a hallmark of of romance novels. Certainly, mm. and I think that in the realm of of grand gestures, uh, a paint job to a room, eh, it's not that. I mean, it's not that big of a deal. Anything else? Oh no, oh. I think that I think that covers it. All right. Did you find uh, the writing style compelling? I, I thought I thought uh, Sally Thorne is a, she's a good writer. I was certainly into just the way that she wove the tale. Uh, I was certainly into it. I think my my block was not in any way the writing style. It was just honestly the subject. And I you know I I think just you pointed out that it took me a while to to finish. Forever. And I think. <laughs> I I think it just did not find myself wanting to turn like desperate to turn the pages, you know, in the absolute five, six, would you have read it faster? (laughs) Um, Well, possibly because possibly if I was rooting for the underdog, you know, like, but he, he, he was not an underdog. He was, beautiful and from a wealthy family and very intelligent and and you know but i i think more it's just like the engine of the plot was not something that inspired me to want to you know i'm sitting in bed and i'm kind of tired do i turn out the light or do i pick up the book and in the novels that i consider my favorite ones the answer is pick up the book. I want to. I want to keep turning those pages. I I'm desperate for that to get on the ride of that plot engine. And for the, this, the just the engine of the plot did not inspire that in me. So you just didn't care how they fell in love, because I mean that's the plot of every romance. How they I mean like yeah. the story. Of- what. <clears throat> I don't want to say didn't care. I think that's maybe a strong, a, a little bit too strong. I, I did care. I, I, wanted, I wanted to know, but I wasn't desperate to know. You know, I, was, I wasn't desperate to know. And backing up to your five, six thing what, really quickly, there is, and I think that that's another distinction between like indie publishing and traditional like print publishing. In indie publishing, there are people now that are, writing non-traditional non-traditionally handsome heroes mm-hmm. uh, male characters so they're like there's a um, pretty popular indie series about like heavy heavy set men about older men mm-hmm. about short men so this is a thing that is coming into the genre now um which i think is positive and i think that everybody deserves to fall in love right so and be represented so maybe maybe we should read one of those books books next for you Preston. maybe so maybe so find it more compelling okay so what made you then want to keep reading or stop reading um i think just i think just that i i I did want to see you know how you know how we would move from their terrible terrible competitiveness to because we we all knew they were going to get together in the end and i i definitely did want to see how that how that bridge was crossed but at the same time, it just the engine was so was not not a ride that I was just like, oh, I got to get on that ride right now. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. 
All right, so this book uses the very popular trope of enemies to lovers. It's a huge. Okay. Well, I would say, I mean, just I couldn't tell you a percentage, but like a, just a ton of books are enemies to lovers. How did you find it? And did you think it was used effectively in this book? Did that... uh, yeah, I mean, it, it is sort of the thing, right? Because I mean, it's the title is The Hating Game. And so I do, I do think that one of the most compelling things about it is that they do start off in, it feels like, in such opposite places. And so you do want to know how on earth are, are they going to turn it around 180 degrees? So I think, I think that does create an interesting, an interesting question for sure. Right. And so they, they really do seem to hate each other at the beginning of yeah. the novel. I mean, like, yeah. super. Did you, did you believe that it was possible for them to truly fall in love after the kind of abuse they took and gave from each other? Or do you think that the author, I mean, and to, to a certain extent, Lucy, but do you think that the, that the author redeemed Josh enough for him to be likable at the end? Or not uh, likable, but just like not a dick. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I think so. Because, you know, so fairly early, all, you know, first several pages is her describing how much she hates him and all the reasons she hates him. Mm -hmm. And then like, there's like, I, I, I wish I had taken a note on it. There's like one sentence where she twists, you know, she, that she expresses like a feeling of, wanting him you know like it, not not on not ex, not explicitly but just like in that one sentence and then that colors your kind of viewpoint of everything that you've read before because you know that she hates him but oh she she actually loves him. the reason the reason to that she feels so passionately against him is because she actually harbors these secret desires for him so that one sentence that happens early in contrast to everything else yeah, that did it for me. That that it worked. Right. I think that honestly, I I wonder if that will change for if just the extreme nature of of how they treat each other. Like every time that they jokingly talk about like writing up an HR complaint, I'm like, yeah, mm. you should. No, you right. should write an HR right. complaint right. <laughs> because right. that's too far. And so, like, I wonder if that will change for the movie because when this was written again in 2016, so it's not that long ago, but I mm -hmm. think that it's. Enough time has passed where, like, some of it just would not is truly abusive in right. this in the lens right. of twenty twenty one. Yep. So I, but yeah, I do. I agree. I thought she made him. I thought she redeemed him by the end, and it just wasn't clear for such a long time to I think the reader that he had feelings for her as well. So we spent a lot of time thinking that he was just uh, kind of like an automaton type of... Person. Right, right, um, right. Clark Kent without the charm, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay, here's a, here's a question for you. Fairly early on, there's a situation in which they are in the elevator alone together. Sure. And I found the, the way that she was describing it, like the... It, alone late at night dark he was so powerful it was sort of it was suggestive of rape mm -hmm. and i just found i just i mean she says like i'm afraid like he has his serial killer's eyes i'm afraid uh-huh 
Yeah. I just found that so surprising. Right. Is that is that a common like like just talk about that? Is that common in in romance novels to have to have the person that ultimately is the object of desire at one point sort of inspire a a, a sort of a fear? Yeah, probably sometimes depending. I would say that the serial killer eyes did kind of get to me after a while. I was just like, is this something we could do without? Is there a better way to describe just somebody looking serious? Uh, but at the same time, like, obviously, this is fiction, and it's fantasy, you have to have some degree of this is not real about it, even if it's but yeah, I mean, I think that there's always a little I mean, I, I think danger is uh, attractive to people. So I think that that factors into to a lot of romance, for sure. Right. I don't think that rape necessarily is necessarily and I I don't really, I sh maybe should have gone back and read that elevator scene, but I think just by the nature of you, at that point, you kind of know those characters enough to know and to be confident that this is actually consensual. Right, right, right. Yeah, I, ju I just found it, I just found it interesting that she had that, like a fear of him, you know, expressed in her first person. She expresses mm -hmm. a legitimate fear of the person that ultimately is, you know, who she ends up with. So it, ju it just, it just was surprising. To me. Well, all of it is about fear in one way or another, right? And whether mm. it's emotional or mm -hmm. um, physical mm -hmm. or whatever, it's all about, I mean, fear yeah. is what drives this thing. So that's true. that's true. I mean, that's a good point to bring up. And I, it's one of the things that I think about a lot as, uh, I mean, I've been a romance reader for, I mean, since I was, you know, 13 or whatever. And so, to have seen the trajectory of how women are treated in these books, it, I mean, it has come a long way. So to get to the point now where, I mean, like, it, maybe in a romance book in the 80s, like, he would have just raped her in the elevator and that would have been okay. Do you know what I mean? Like, jeez. Oh, where, in fact, like, it now, obviously, he wouldn't, like, guys would not. <laughs> anyway, so anyway, it, it, it's actually, whatever you think of it, like, that's a modern scene which she's, mm -hmm. so she's still in charge like at any point in time you have to believe and i believed as a reader she could say no i don't want this and he would stop I he would respect the, that yeah that's the difference yeah all right so there's actually there's a lot of symbolism in this book um you know in the beginning uh the office mirrors that reflect their strawberries which are kind of like home you know and of course josh calls her strawberry shortcake do you think, did you pick up on these tools? Did they make sense to you? Do you think that they worked in the context of the story? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't think that the character development. For yeah. Me? Yeah. Um, I didn't, I thought it was an appropriate use of symbolism for the genre. Um, it didn't feel like over the top or, you know, overwrought or anything like that. Yeah. I thought in particular, the, you know, the strawberry stuff was, it was interesting. You know, we, I don't can't remember a time when I, seen a you know a strawberry farmer being the parents of the protagonist and or a farmer of any type really you know uh, it's rare um especially because she's in a, a metropolitan setting and so to have that as her roots and to have that be the thing that felt like home to her and that she had a conflicted relationship with it as well you know she it was both you know i think which is true for many of us like home is both attractive and repulsive you know um and i i felt like that was authentic so yeah like 
Yeah, and her home was very vague. I mean, the, uh, Sally Thorne is Australian, I think. And so I think that it was meant to feel like, oh, this could be New York or this could be any metropolitan area. And mm. it's a very, I think it was a very conscious choice not to put a name to mm. the city. And I think that that, I, I, and I, want, I wonder a lot about that. Like what, does that appeal to more readers to not, like sometimes a Jew, a geographical area like the West is attractive to people because they like cowboys or whatever. And like that, that adds to the story. So I kind of wondered at that choice. And uh, that's, I mean, it's neither here nor there. We don't have to talk mm-hmm. about that, but just mm-hmm. as a, as a huge romance reader and writer, I places location as a big deal. And so the choice yep. of this to not have a specific one seemed it was different. I mean, you rarely, hmm. you rarely see that. So it's always somewhere. You know, right. Right. Somewhere. Right. <laughs> All right. Uh, so this book is written solely in Lucy's first person point of view. Did you feel like you wanted to know more about Josh's motivation and actions? Do you think that would have added more meat to their love story? Do you think you as a man would have been more invested in a male point of view? Uh, no, I don't. I don't think that. I, I think that restricting our point of view to just her was an important choice for this story, for the way that the narrative unfolded. I think that you know, if we had like done one of the alternate alternating chapters, like a him, you know, her chapter and then him chapter, I think would have diffused the tension because if you know we got that same sense from him that he had that he shared the feelings that we get from her, and and therefore I think we would be too far ahead of what you know the narrative. Yeah. So you're saying you think it added to the suspense of what's going to happen? Yeah, so I do. Not know his side. Yeah, I do. I do. And to and to have to discover. You know, we discover these bits and pieces of who he who he is only through her eyes, because you know, like we meet we meet the brother who is the doctor only because she gets sick and he needs to come in to help, and we meet the parents only because she attends the wedding and gets to see the dysfunction of of that of his world only through her eyes. And you know, if we had done an alternating point of view, certainly we would have learned those things earlier and i think it would have been it it would have taken away the only the only narrative engine that the novel had which is will they or, or won't they you know or how, how what how do these people really feel about each other and it would not have been as good so i, I think well, it was the right choice i well, i will say that most romance novels are in third person and uh-huh. it's an alternating point of view so you do really see- Huh. 100%. And I I prefer that. I don't love a first person point of view. I don't like being in the head of a of the female protagonist the whole time. Huh. It's far more interesting to me as a re- not that I I thought this was the appropriate choice for this book for 100%. Uh-huh. But and I don't hate it, but and I am more comfortable as a writer in, in first person. But I like to be in the man's head. I like having that point of view because it's not my own. And obviously Mm. it's fictionalized, but like that's uh, in a large part, what's interesting to me is to see their side of an interaction. So I guess, I guess that would make sense that you would then, it wouldn't be bothered. You would feel fine reading it all in the female perspective. That's interesting. So traditional romance novels are third person, but alternate, but, sort of a, a different point of view Limited. you get yep. mm-hmm. yeah okay interesting interesting i i mean by i mean up until recently mm. for sure now these romantic comedies you'll see most of them in first person mm-hmm. but like tradition like just 
regular old contemporary romance. And, and that's slowly changing as well. But up until the last five years, I would say mostly third person, alternating point of view. Right. 100%. All right. So that's the end of my question. So after after reading this, any anything else you want to discuss about the book? Any other, other thoughts? Final uh, let me see. Like, Let me see if there's if, anything if else. If she had said or... he was five seven specifically, would that have made you feel better? Would, <laughs> if he was if he was <laughs> under six <laughs> feet, would that make uh, you feel better? Uh, maybe slightly, but it but you know the the numbers don't really matter. It was just you know he's an outstanding <laughs> physical specimen, and I am not, and so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. life is hard. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I. Again, it was from her perspective. So you don't actually know that he is empirically attractive. All you know is that he is attractive to her. That's which is true. A different thing. That's true. A different thing. That's true. Yeah. It was, uh, I, I don't think I have anything else. I think, I think okay. I just, I enjoyed it, but it's not going to be one that I go back to again and again. Okay. <laughs> So, but after reading it, will you read, do you think that you'll read or watch more romance on your own? I would say if it is, if it is defined as this, this is pure romance, probably not. Probably. Mm -hmm. I, I just think that the, I'm attracted to things that have a really thrilling, dramatic engine at their core, whether that's like a horror movie that has a, that has a horror engine or a thriller a whodunit, murder mystery, sci like a sci-fi engine, you know, like those, those. So just the intricacy of human relationships is not thrilling or interesting to you. Well, see, th this, this is the, this is the rub because I love that. And en the engine that I described, uh, like a, a thrilling dramatic engine, but then I love to explore the intricacies of the human relationships through the lens of that dramatic, of that thrilling engine. And mm -hmm. so, you know, a, a movie that I know that we've talked about before that I that I you love. Say Willow again. <laughs> uh, I think you mean Witness. Witness. Whatever. Yes, Witness uh, is a perfect example of what oh I'm talking God. about. But because it's not, it's not about them, though. That's I mean, that's the difference. That's well, it's not about them. It's about but, this thing that's scary and whatever. It's but not he, about he, them. Here's what I here's what I think. I think that you could say. Witness is about a cop who must hide a young boy witness in Amish country. Mm -hmm. And that is, that is a surface level, absolutely accurate description of the movie. But you could also say that it is a movie about a man who learns to cast off some of the barriers that he's built over time as uh, life in the city and come to value other things and fall and fall in love with a woman who represents those things and it's kind of it's it only works when it's about both things which is why i think it's remarkable i don't know this the whole description has made me fall asleep i don't i, I mean like it but you, what, what you just said to me was she represents a thing that he likes so it's not like i said it's not about them like at all it's not about those two people and how they fall it, in love and how they is. connect to each other. I think it is. And how though. they're interested in each other. That's not what it's, I don't know. I've never seen it, so I don't know. I'm just saying. You should watch it. I think you'd really like it. I think you'd I, really like it. I really doubt that I don't watch it. Um, I couldn't even get through Benji the Hunted. There was no words in this. <laughs> 
<laughs> Maybe you need the words. There's lots of words of witness. Uh, catfish fell asleep within the first five minutes, too. So. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't even entertaining to dogs. No. Um, um, yeah, so I, I, I think for me, I just like that, that engine, but then explore the characters through the lens of, of that thrilling engine. Is the best marriage possible. Well, and that's where I just, I don't like the lens of something else. I like seeing people in their natural environment and doing what they do every day. And it's ordinary. And within that, they find something extraordinary mm. within just another person in everyday life. That's what's interesting to me, I guess. And that's, I think, the crux of, of this. They're just two people who were co-workers. And right, right. Um, I, I will also say that I feel like th- that for me, it it extends. I I don't like almost any pure genre. For instance, I don't like pure action films. If if you're like this, this is a pure action film. Mm-hmm. I I don't like that because there's rarely an exploration of character. If it's a pure action film, all it has is that uh, adrenalized core of we're looking for a thing. Bad guys are trying to keep us from getting the thing. And we're shooting each other, and there's some twists and turns, and then at the end, we either get the thing or not. That's like a, a pure action movie, and there's it's not tempered with the character work. On the other hand, what you might say is like an action comedy, something like Lethal Weapon. Love it. I love it, because that there is an exploration of character going on. In the middle of this crucible of conflict is this exploration of the characters. And that, that, that's, it's, just, it's just what I love. Just what I love. I can't speak to that. I have not seen any of the Lethal Weapon movies, obviously. Oh, man. You got a whole weekend. You got Lethal Weapon 1. You got Lethal Weapon 2. Lethal Weapon 3. And Lethal Weapon 4. And Witness. I'd rather put my head in a plastic bag. (laughs) You got a whole weekend. It's going to be awesome. That's great. I don't know if you want to watch Mel Gibson. Is that who's in that? <laughs> that Mel Gibson is in Lethal Weapon. It's true. Okay. It's true. He is. He's a problematic celebrity. Okay, so you're not going to read more romance, and hope, but next time we have for you a romantic suspense. So we'll see if that works better. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited about that. I'm excited about the mixing of the genre. All right. Okay, so we'll wrap up the hating game. Thank you for reading it. We have one more game. Close this out. Sweet. And it is called Frothy Romance or a Classic Novel. And so I'm going to read you again two passages and you can tell me which one you think is, is which. Will do, although I just want to point out that you called me out on using the word frothy. Now you're using it yourself. I was mocking you. <laughs> I see. Because <laughs> oh that is the point of this game. Can you tell? Is it just a frothy romance or is it classic? You probably won't be able to tell because it's not frothy. Romance is legitimate writing. And that's the point I'm trying to make here. Must I? Ex- must we explain all the subtext in this podcast? <sighs> all right, here we go. <clears throat> First one. He slowed his horse to a trot as they rounded the final corner of the drive. The trees slipped from his peripheral vision and suddenly there was his home. Stately and solid, all two and a half centuries of it, rising from the earth like a limestone goddess. Nicholas had always marveled at how such a large and ornate building could be so well hidden, until the final moment of approach. He supposed there was something poetic about it, that he could continually be surprised by something that had always been a part of him. His mother's roses were in full bloom, red and pink and riotous, just the way they all liked them. And as Nicholas drew close, he felt their scent in the damp air, 
drifting lightly over his clothes and under his nose. He had never been particularly fond of the smell of roses. He preferred his flowers less fussy. But when everything came together in moments like this, the rose and the mist, the damp of the earth, it was home. Right? That was the first one. Selection one. Got it. Here is the second. She says nothing at all, but simply stares upwards into the dark sky and watches, with sad eyes, the slow dance of the infinite stars. Every lover is, in his heart, a madman, and in his head, a minstrel. I think I love you. My heart, it, it feels like my chest can barely contain it. Like it's trying to escape because it doesn't belong to me anymore. It belongs to you. And if you wanted it, I'd wish for nothing in exchange. No gifts. No goods. No demonstrations of devotion. Nothing but knowing you love me too. Just your heart in exchange for mine. Okay, I have a definite point of view. You do. I do. I believe the first one was a romance. Uh huh. And the second was a classic novel. Okay, and what is your reasoning, sir? Um, I just found some of the word choice in the first one to be a little less sophisticated than the word choice in the second one. Okay. And a, li- and a little bit more, the, the second one just felt more, more elevated, for lack, of, for lack of any other word. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, all right. The first one was First Come Scandal by Julia Quinn, author of Bridgerton. Okay. Uh-huh. So I was right. You were, you were yes. And the, and the second one was Stardust by Neil Gaiman, of course. Ah, very good, very also, good. Also, just to say, a romance. Yeah, for sure. I, 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 I want to make it clear. I am in no way refuting your assertion that romance is a valid form of literature. I am in no way. I am in no way disputing that. I think but, all I'm saying is that it the genre the genre doesn't depend does for me for me personally. The genre does not dictate if it's a valid, you know, work of literature or not. It's sure. all about the execution. Sure, I believe that you've said that out loud and that you truly believe it, and not just saying it for this podcast. But, <laughs> but, but I will say, it, like this passage by Neil Gaiman. I mean, it's sappy. I mean, like I would call this flowery. In fact, just, it, it, there were there are, there are moments of floweriness to it for sure, for sure. I mean, I I wasn't like a thousand percent confident. But I just, I had an instinct. I had an instinct. All right. Well, congratulations. Thank you. You won both games, Preston. Awesome. Exciting. I'm sure that I would give you a prize, but guess what? It's just my friendship. (laughs) The greatest prize of all. The only ship that never sinks. Friendship. Right. Well, often it does sink. Sometimes. (laughs) Um, Uh, But just one more thing. How how often upon reading this novel, when you read Joshua Templeton, did you think Joshua like friends? Oh no, I didn't think about that at all. I thought about it all the time. Joshua. Joshua. That classic Jennifer Aniston. That didn't make you like him more. I feel like maybe. I mean, like I feel like that would. (laughs) endear him to you no yeah but the height the height just was too much the height the height and the good looking was just too much did to joshua and friends also make you feel inadequate um like no i guess not i guess not i mean tate donovan the actor who played yeah, joshua good, good is looking, a classically tall, man, handsome man guy. he's a blonde haired blue-eyed tall man who dated jennifer aniston in in real life yeah and yet i don't know 
Anyway, all right. Well, I'm glad you read it. Thank you for reading. Thank you, you so much for doing this. It was a pleasure. I hope that you'll come back after you spend seven more months reading the second <laughs> book that you are going to read, but probably it'll take longer. And hopefully you will come back and thank you again. You're welcome. Me. This was super fun. Glad to do it. All right, Preston. The only thing left is tell me that you love romance. I love romance. 